Father, I thank you for um, this opportunity to um, be used of you, hopefully in a way that moves us one step further uh, to what you call us to be, which is image bearers. Lord, I pray that um, for many of us in this room, this will be a message that encourages us because it describes the journey that we are on. And for some, Lord, I pray that this would be a time that you can uh, inspire and move in their hearts to live in such a way, God, that you are working out of them the image of your Son. I just thank you again for these people that I love so dearly and the privilege it is to love you by loving them. In your son's name I pray, amen. Why don't you remain standing and let me read our passage for today. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. That you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. Among whom you shine as lights in the world. Holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. It's the reading of the word. You have a seat. You know, one of the things that I think is probably true for most of us is um, the appreciation of art. I mean, art to me, whether it's Dave writing songs or um, people who can take a clump of clay and make it into something magical or someone who can take paints and a blank canvas and then turn it into a picture that mesmerizes us or even a chunk of stone that someone can chisel into, the, into some amazing image. I, I think it fascinates me because it seems to give glory to a creator. Um, in many ways, an artist's ability is supernatural. And so this, is, this makes me think of spiritual growth. I am unashamedly, and a, a, uh, I idolize certain things. I believe in certain things, and one of the things that I believe in so passionately is God's ability to be an artist in our life and to transform us into his image. So spiritual growth, in many ways, has the same effect on me as looking at a piece of art. It amazes me. I've always been fascinated by discipleship. I've always been fascinated by life change. I, I have a heart for evangelism. But to me, when someone becomes a follower of Jesus, what I get really excited about is what God will make them, what they will become. 
there are many masterpieces in this room. I mean, there really is. It's not surprising to me that when I'm involved in small groups and get to know people at a personal level, this, this reality of how God can transform lives is just ever-present. Um, I love the corporate gathering. I truly do. But what inspires me most is the small groups are being involved in people's lives because, again, I, I'm fascinated by God's transforming power. And I get an opportunity to see that on a weekly basis as I rub up against the lives of people in our church and hear their stories. Today's outline is a simple outline. It's the ins and outs of spiritual growth. First, Paul will call us, or, or this church in Philippi, to work out our salvation. And then he will give us hope that the power for this working out of our salvation, the power of God to, that works in us. So in verse 12, we read, Therefore, my beloved, and I love that, <clears throat> as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now, <clears throat> last week when Dave spoke, um, we were confronted with this ideal that God's agenda for our lives is to become Christ-like. And the bar was not set very low. I mean, the bar was set so high that we are to reflect the image of Christ in the same way that he was willing to set aside his deity and come to this earth and be made a, a servant, even in serving us even to the point of death. I mean, that's a high bar. That we're commanded by Paul to have the same mind that's in Christ. And so it's not an outward conformity, but it's an inward transformation to where more and more our tendencies are to think in the, in the lenses of humility and how can I sacrifice for other people. So Paul gives us some words here that we need to focus on. First he says, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now, notice that he doesn't say work for your salvation. He says work out your salvation. The idea here is not spiritual conception. It's spiritual maturing. That we are to mature in our faith. And, and again, if you think about just the, the tie between giving birth to a child or conceiving a child, try not to think too much about that one, but to conceive a child... In a sense, we're giving this, this new creature a gift. But then after they're born, with the help of parents for sure in the early years, but now we're called to work it out, that we're to grow and, and to take responsibility for our physical growth and mental growth and our place in this world. And then it says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Literally, the word work out, it means to labor, to toil. It's the kind of idea that sweat will be on your brow. It's the kind of idea that it's not going to come easily, that there's not this coupon to spiritual growth, but that it's going to extend us and tax us. It's going to demand hard work and intentionality. This working out of our salvation is going to demand us saying yes to, to eternal things and no to temporal things. 
This working out of our salvation will demand the sacrifice of time. One of the things you need to know about this phrase working out is it's in the present tense, which is trying to convey this idea of a beginning point that continues. And the NIV does a pretty good job at translating this verse where it says, continue to work out your salvation. What Paul is talking about here is what we call progressive sanctification. It's this idea that, again, once I'm born into the kingdom of God, and that is a free gift, that now my growth is a process where God will shape me and mold me more and more from the inside out into the image of Christ. A great passage for this is 2 Corinthians 3.18, where he says, And we all, that's all of us, with unveiled faces behold the glory of the Lord, are being transformed from one into the same image from one degree of glory to the other. Paul tells us also that we're to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. And and I, you know, again, this is always a tough one. And I know we most of us know the theological angle that he's taking here. But the word fear, we get the word phobia. The word trembling, we get the word trauma. And so to work out our salvation with a sense of phobia and trauma just doesn't seem to fit, because after all, we're told um, that perfect love casts out what? Fear. A common one, 63 times in the King James Bible, this phrase is, fear not. So how does this work? Why is this critical, and I believe it is, why is this critical to our spiritual transformation. One, working out our salvation is to be done with reverential joy, a profound respect. Here's an interesting verse. Psalm 2.11 says this, Serve the Lord, and the, the word there for Lord is Yahweh, the great I am. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoicing with trembling. So, so it, lo- it gives us this idea that we're, we need to think about this a little bit more deeply. How do, how do I rejoice with trembling? Well, serving the great I am is a source of great joy, but we will never take him lightly. Now, I don't know if you guys, I, I, you know, one of the things I do love about cable TV is all the um, reality shows. Now, I'm not talking about The Bachelor, The Bachelorette. Um, what I'm more talking about is, have you ever watched The Deadliest Catch? I mean, it's in a fascinating show. But the thing that, one of the things that fascinates, fascinates me as these men fish for crabs off the Aleutian Islands, which is not a safe place to fish, is they love it. They love what they do. They love being on the ocean and all its power and all its bounty. But they don't take it lightly. They respect it. Because they know the moment they stop respecting it, they could get hurt and harmed. We need to think of our relationship with God that way, that if all of a sudden, if his presence was in this room, we would all probably fall to our knees. And it may look like fear to some, but to be honest with you, it's just a natural reaction to be in the presence of something greater than you. And we just don't take that lightly. So when Paul says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, a lot of that has to do with, look at who you're serving. Source of great joy, without a doubt, but not to be taken lightly. Next, working out your salvation is to be done with a holy fear of the consequences of spiritual 
blemishes. And he says in verse 14, Do all things without grumbling and disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine like lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life. Some translations, so I think it's both, actually it says holding forth the word of life. We all know what grumbling is, right? It's a great word. It's just kind of one of those words like it's self-descriptive. But grumbling is when our hearts are so unhappy, where discontent has been such a part of our heart that it starts to bubble up to our lips. We can't contain it anymore. And we just start to grumble. Disputing is where now it's actually become conflict. Where when it's left unchecked, and then really the check needs to be more before we start to grumble, when it's left unchecked, grumbling will always lead to disputing. Now Paul is not talking about a flawless people. He's talking about people who are living in such a way that the blemish that they have distracts from the message that they possess. His concern is not that they, his concern was that they would stop being attractional to the gospel and become distractions from the gospel. Now, this is a story that is going to be a little hard to believe because it was when I heard it. In my old church, I have a friend of mine that grew up in the Bible Belt, and um, which is a strange terminology, but and and he told me this story about a church that he once attended. It was really growing and really flourishing, and so much so that uh, they were building new buildings, and, and there became a discussion about what kind of tile were they going to put on the roof. And it's really funny. Well, I mean, I can appreciate why these things matter, but this, for whatever reason, became to, ma- to many, became to matter more. And so there was half the congregation, well, not half, but this is the way he explained it, that were really into blue tile. They must have liked IHOP or something like that, but it was kind of like a blue tile mentality. And then there was another half of the congregation that was really into red tile. And in their family meetings, like the one that we'll have after this, this clear division within the congregation between the blue tile people and the red tile people, this is a true story, was so intense that they decided to lay one and a half of the roof with blue tile and the other half of the roof with red tile. And even when the congregation came and sat, some were so upset that it wasn't red only or blue only. They would sit on the blue tile side and the red tile side. Now, it's no surprising that this church lost its influence. And it slowly, in my mind, would have quickly died. That's what happens with certain blemishes. That they distract from the gospel. We all have blemishes. We all have weaknesses. But grumbling and disputing is the kind of weakness that will turn people off to the gospel. There's also something deeper going on here that Paul is trying to address, and it's that when people grumble and argue about stuff, 
they're fundamentally directing it towards God. Ephesians 16, verse 8 says this, And Moses said, and this, you know the story of the people in, in the wandering, they were prone to grumble. Their grumbling it is not against us, but it's against the Lord. I mean, think about it. It, it, it. Grumbling is kind of like an onion. The more you peel it away, you realize that you're upset with God. Your argument's with him. And then lastly, working out your salvation with fear and trembling has to do with what I believe is an acute dependency. So in your mind's eye, picture a father going on a hike with a five-year-old child. And they're enjoying the woods and the wilderness and it's quite enjoyable. The father, obviously, is a little concerned. He's always watching his five-year-old, making sure that he doesn't run into trouble and because five-year-olds can do that. And they come up to a creek that's about 10 feet wide, and the water is deep enough that they've got to find another way to cross it. And he notices a log that's about 10 feet above the water. And he says to his son or his daughter, we're going to cross that creek. Most five-year-olds... You probably have one that wasn't this way. But most five-year-olds will start to fear and tremble because they're acutely aware that they may lack the balance in the ability to cross that log on their own. And so the father picks that child up and crosses. When we fear and tremble, it, it drives us to dependency on him because we're acutely aware of, I can't do this. Lord, I need you. Now, our response to this transformation of becoming like Jesus, many of us could say, gosh, we've got to work this out, and is it possible? How, how, how can I ever possess the power to become more and more like Jesus Christ, and not just in outward conformity, but that my heart is actually being transformed to where I think humility. I, I respond in humble ways. And it comes to the second part this passage, that work out your, that God is the power that works within us. That God is the power that works within us. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed now, so now, not only in my presence, much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Here, the word for works is really the word we get energy from. That it's the power of God that energizes us, gives us the resources, and it's too in the present tense. He will continue to work out. He'll continue to work in us to work out our salvation. And then it says, for God works in us, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. This is a really amazing passage. That God's work is not just to give us the power to obey, but the willingness to obey. Now, if you ask me to explain how this works, I can't. But I am prone to give him tribute. There's an analogy I... Because it... The fact that he changes my want, that I start to want his will, is really amazing. And then he also says that he gives us the power. Um, great passage in 1 Corinthians 3, 6. 
He says, I planted Apollos water, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants or he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the strength. Uh, yesterday I was here on campus and I ran into Brian, and, uh, and I ran into Brian, Cheryl was probably here too, but they run our food bank. And I just said, you know, Brian, you're, you're a hero to me. Um, you know, it, it's taxing work. He was telling me, and Brian, I know you're in this room, but they, how many tons of food have you guys given away this year? Three quarters of a million pounds. And I remember saying to Brian, you're a hero to me. And you know what he said? It's not me. It's the Lord. I mean, we're acutely aware of the fact, even though we're putting this hard work in and it, and it taxes us and it puts sweat on our brows spiritually, it, it's, it's not uncomfortable for us to still give glory to God because we know it's been him that has done that work from beginning to end. So how does this all work? This symbiotic relationship between our hard work and God working in us. I want you to think about, again, this analogy of art. Think of this lump of pliable clay in the hands of a great sculptor. The clay's job is to stay pliable. It's the skill of the sculptor and the pliability of the clay working together that makes a masterpiece. We are the clay, and he is the potter, or he is the sculptor. He looks at the clay, he looks at each one, each one of us and sees what he wants us to be. Yes, in the image of Christ, but in our own unique way. He lovingly cuts and carves the clay. He bends the clay to his will. He glorious refines and starts to give amazing details. And then with great compassion, he puts the still weakened clay into an oven where the heat strengthens it. So how do we remain pliable, soul clay in the hands of God? Well, it's really a, uh, a simple answer, but it's, it's challenging. It's through what we would call core practices. That the core practices that we practice as Christians are not to necessarily grow us. It makes us pliable so that God can grow us. And some of the practices that I know would come to many of your minds would be the same ones that would come to mind. It's through being in God's Word. But not casually being in God's Word, sweat on the brow kind of being in God's Word. Where we're not only hearing it, but we're reading and studying and memorizing and meditating on God's Word. It's through having a vibrant prayer life. Here's one that you may not think of as a core practice or a spiritual discipline, but serving. In God's economy, we don't learn to serve. We serve to learn. And then, of course, it's a being a part of a small group of believers where the one another commands of the Bible can be lived out. And then the question typically is, how often, how long, how much? And those are genuine, sincere questions that we have to manage. Here's my one answer. How often, how long, how much? Enough to outwork the flesh that is in each one of us. Enough to outwork the opposition to our spiritual growth. 
I'm going to close with a video. It's about a minute and a half long. And this video is, is again, just of a man sculpting a piece of clay. And again, it's, it's accelerated time-wise because it takes much more time than a minute and a half to take a lump of clay and to make it into something beautiful. But it's a great illustration. And I, and I want you to go with this image in your mind today of what it means to work out your salvation for it's God who works in you. Let's watch this video and I'll read our passage one more time. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling and disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shined as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. For among you, from among whom you shine as lights in this world, holding forth the word of life. Pray with me. Father, I thank you for this morning. I pray, God, that today's time has been helpful to each one of us. God, help us to be a people that are thankful for our birth, our new birth, but, Father, that we, we really embrace that we need to work and work hard at growing in our salvation. And I thank you so much, Lord, that that growth is not my strength, it's yours. It's not my will, it's you forming my will. God, help us to be pliable clay. Help us to be the kind of creatures that you have open and easy access to so that you can make us into something that's beautiful, something that can hold forth the beauty of your gospel. In your son's name I pray.